Hey everybody, uh, welcome to another episode of the Smooth Brain Inquisition, where we talk about sometimes difficult topics to the best of our cognitive ability. My name's Andrew. I'm Bryant. And today we're going to be tackling, I guess, what is the true cost of higher education. I think a lot of this is predicated on the um, the loan forgiveness that recently happened. Yeah, for sure. That's sort of what's brought it to the forefront of our, atten- uh, or our attention, at least. Um, and that being said, uh, that's what the topic is, but... You know, if you guys happen to like this, it would be really sick if you actually click the little like button on whatever you're listening to. If you subscribe to the the show, um, if you could share it with somebody who you think would find this interesting, leave a comment, you know, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Amazon, anywhere yeah. you can leave a review. You know, it helps us with exposure. It's the best way to share this. And definitely spread it around. Like the more yeah. listeners we get, the easier this gets for us to do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so to go over some housekeeping, you may have noticed, or you may not have noticed, that we didn't have a show last week. Whoops. Um, it seems like uh, the the first little bit is always, what's going on in the health of Andrew today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a tooth extracted, and you might, this is crazy, I don't know if you can hear it. I definitely feel it. I'm not stopped up. Uh can you tell that I'm not stopped you know, up? Now that you mention it, yeah. So yeah. in the past episodes, I've been very stopped up. And I was like, this has to be related to this this tooth after the fact I had it extracted. I could breathe through my nose again. But it's a bottom, a bottom molar. It isn't like anywhere else in my mouth. Like if it was on the top arch, that's closer to your sinuses. And I would imagine yeah. that could affect it. I had the tooth. So without, this is... I always, I don't know why I feel like I have to defend myself. I think it's because my aunt is a a, a dental hygienist. My, um, I brush my teeth every day, twice. I swish, I do all this, I floss. I have a tooth that is leaning up against another tooth. And the one that was upright, unfortunately, was the one that had to go. Uh Uh-oh. They're going to have to remove the other one and then cut out my wisdom teeth as well. This is going to be this whole process. But regardless... I feel like I have to defend myself because I think um, so it's been beat into my head that if you don't brush your teeth, you're lazy or something like that. I don't yeah. know what it is. So it's not my fault. I promise. <laughs> I can't imagine not brushing my teeth. Right. Like, well, I, they I, feel who, like hairy and gross or something. No, no, like, who, who doesn't actually brush their teeth? Like you got to You got to do it. You got to do it. So anyways, that's why I didn't we didn't do the, the thing. I had to have a tooth extracted and um, it, it definitely... I'm still feeling the effects of that. But anyways, um, to talk about the sinus, I'm allergic to my cats. I have to take an allergy medicine. (laughs) Um, But I've always been stopped up. And you remember in the Discord I was talking, I was like blowing glue out of my nose. It wasn't like I was blowing, uh, you know, snot or normal mucus. Sorry for it, you know. This is gross or whatever, TMI probably, but it was it was definitely like a, like a rubber cement that was coming out of my nose. It was very tacky. It's kind of gross. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I got to say, like, you know, you ever see that video or that picture of the guy who, like, he was sick and they had, like, a, like, his lungs had mucus in it and he finally coughed it up. You could see, like, the entire, like... Ew, like the... the like the, the bronchial system, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. Like, Ugh. the complete shape. And I was like, I bet that felt good. Uh, yeah, I probably did. At the same time, it was probably horrifying to do. Oh, but yeah. he thought he was dying when he did that. But um, with that being said, when I, the tooth was extracted, um, I cleared my nose once, and that's the last time that I had to do it. Cool. And it's bizarre. Um, but... Just to say, your oral health can affect the rest of your health. It's pretty much the entry into your body, so that's where everything it else sense, can yeah. happen. So, 
uh, brush your teeth. I guess that's the, the yeah. moral of the story. So, um, but yeah, um, I guess we can just sort of dive right into this. And I guess one yeah. of the first areas of this uh, this conversation that we want to talk about is uh, the opportunity cost of what it is to you know pursue higher ed. And um, it was beaten into both of our brains when we were children that the way out of poverty or the way out of, I guess, um, or the way above the, your current rung on the economic ladder yeah. is to go either to a university or to go to trade. But in our school system particularly, the trade wasn't really offered that much to hardly no. anybody at all. It was, you need to prepare to go to college. Oh, my, my entire life. Right. Like, it was, the thought of not going to a four-year college never crossed my mind. And, you know, I think maybe I've mentioned, but my family was fairly wealthy growing up, so I didn't even, like, know student loans were a thing at first. Right. It wasn't until my second semester, sophomore year, my family went bankrupt. I was like, oh, I got to get loans to stay in school. Right. And... Yeah, so this is personal for me too. Like the student forgiveness is going to affect me. I still owe money, right. and this will fully cover what I have left in my debt. Right. So it's you know I'm happy to hear it, but I'm also kind of torn on the issue, which we'll dive into a bit more later on. But yeah, so the the I wasn't aware that uh, learning a trade was a thing until probably I was 16. Yeah. Um, I was aware. Were you aware of uh, in Lincoln County the the School of Tech? School yeah. of Technology. I didn't know anything about it yeah, really, yeah. but that's where they did a lot of that that sort of trade prep so stuff. The only reason I knew anything about like a trade school or uh, a lot of community colleges offer two year programs was because my family helped build uh, CPCC. Oh, okay. So through Central, oh, Central, Central Piedmont, Piedmont community, community College. College. So through that, I knew they had like two year degrees and everything. Mm. And I also, I, I mean, I was somewhat aware that you know, trades existed simply because we were in construction. So I, yeah. you know, I knew people who became plumbers, electric, electricians and yeah, everything. Master plumbers, master electricians, yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it, it's a, there's a lot to be said for it. They made really good money. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you knew the plumber in our street, uh, Todd something, whatever his name was. I think, yeah, he he lived uh, near um, near your road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, okay, he was yeah, right yeah. nearby. And he was, you know probably still is pretty well off like right. those guys make really good money but mm. you're never there's a similar issue here in the u.s that i encountered in korea as well there's no idea that you know if you're not working in an office or a doctor or a lawyer or you know a white collar position you are lower class right and this is not the case i mean there are plenty of jobs that you know you're down and dirty but you're making six figures right 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 uh, well, so the the trade stuff that, that I was exposed to, the, you know, the the people who went to the school of tech were learning something such as electrical engineering or just yeah. electrical in general. Same thing with uh, the, I don't know if necessarily plumbing was taught there or anything, but I, I do I do know for a fact that like electrical engineering and stuff was offered over yeah. there. Some computer programming, light coding, that kind of stuff was offered. Um, but we had at um, my high school, we had um, a masonry class. At as uh, at East Lincoln, you did. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. I, I I was aware of it. I didn't want to take it. I knew. Who, I think it was one of the coaches that I didn't like. I was like, I don't oh. want to do anything okay, with yeah. it. And still, like you know, laying bricks for class, it sounds like an easy A. But at the same time, like, not some I, hard work. I don't want. Well, I mean, like 
there's no cognitive load after yeah. a certain point. It, it becomes the, the goal is to make it become automatic. Yeah. You can just lay bricks. That's kind of true for anything, though. Like even right. like my job when I first started, it was like, man, like I got to be on all the time. And now it's just like, wait, what was I doing? Right, right, right. So um, not understanding, for me at least, that uh, a trade was an option um, until that late I think was very detrimental. Um, and so to, to frame it as an opportunity cost, you have an opportunity to make money right out of high school by uh, assuming an apprenticeship yeah. or an internship at some place that is a little bit more specialized, but not necessarily for people who are on the university prep path. And you can, you had your choice. You could either take your opportunity and do the trade or take the opportunity to go to the university. Yeah. And um, if you didn't do one or the other, not to say that you failed or anything like that, yeah. but um, those people who typically didn't go any further had a family business that they were going to work for already, or, mm-hmm. and they had institutional knowledge of what their family was doing yeah. in order to be able to do that kind of stuff. But like the whole idea of like, uh, like starting out, in a trade early on. And I mean, like not even going to trade school, just starting out say in construction is that you're getting a head start. You're right. You're getting experience. You're making money right away. Whereas if you go to college, you're kind of delaying it. But the idea right. is that you, yeah, you get a slower start, but once you do start, you're farther ahead and eventually will make more. And that's the whole idea of going to college, right? It's that yes, I'm delaying my life by four, five, six, you know, however long you're in school. Yeah. But afterwards, you are. Yeah, you could set. have been making one dollar graduating from high school, but if you graduate from college, you'll be making a dollar and a quarter instead. Yeah. That kind of thing. You get a little bit of a multiplier from doing that, and and part of that, the the university experience gives you that worldly experience. Um, you meet people that you otherwise mm-hmm. wouldn't have been exposed to because. Um, a lot of the people, uh, uh, small-minded might be the word that we would use um, to describe the people who grew up in their hometown, never left, and sort of their entire world lived oh, within yeah. 50 miles. Maybe No, 50 is too far. Probably 15 miles of where their homestead is. Well, I mean, like, I was, you know, decently exposed to other culture growing up, but not a lot. But I went to like, a very religious school. Like, when I began college, I was extremely close-minded like you, you wouldn't believe and it took that college experience to really kind of open up my mind and let me just accept other people for who they were yeah, and, for who they are and, and what yeah. they what they bring to a conversation and what they can yeah. add to like the i guess the richness of your experience and it's not that you have to go to college to have that experience right. it's just college kind of forces it upon you yeah yeah it's easier to experience i mean you you ha- you run the risk if you don't go to a school with somebody that you know uh to have a stranger as a roommate this is a person you're going to share intimate space this room that we're in right now to do this recording is about the size of the dorm room that I had when I was a freshman. And I shared it with oh, one of the yeah, person. I remember. So yeah. this, this is, uh, um, now when I moved out of that dorm room and into, I uh, had a suite, uh, that I shared with my buddy, Patrick, uh, Patrick, if you're listening, hello. That was um, the apartment. No, it wasn't the apartment. It was my, my sophomore year. I lived in the dorm. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, the room was this size, maybe a little bit smaller, and uh but i had it to myself and there was a like a jack and jill bathroom between me and patrick yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and that was that was the ideal living situation until uh 
you know, it got even more ideal when we moved to the, the apartment. summit. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a, a good time, but, um, getting exposed to those different people that you otherwise wouldn't have had any business talking to. Mm-hmm. I think this, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I was aware of LGBTQ kind of stuff. I don't think it, um, I don't think the Q was added at that yeah, point yeah. in time and it might not even had the T at the time, but that was the first place that I was exposed to people who identified with that community was when I was in college. I was exposed to other people from different cultures and, and you know, all that was all well and good, but that would say if there was any kind of shock that came to me, it would have been through that because I just didn't experience that at yeah. East Lincoln. Which is kind of funny. I was exposed to that stuff, but as you know, literally like people in that community were the enemy, you know, at the yeah. square between high school. Like, so all of these communities i was aware of them but my perception was very negative it wasn't until i went to college and like met people i was like oh like wait a second what like why am i supposed to dislike all these people yeah yeah they just have a a different um uh lens that they view the world Mm -hmm. through it it doesn't really matter exactly how they operate or anything there's nothing there um and with that uh the opportunity cost comes with this education expense so one of the things is you can pay to go to a trade school, but if you do pay to go to a trade school, it's basically like a, a down payment to show that you're genuinely interested yeah. and you're going to get paid for having an apprenticeship. Um, whereas at a university, that doesn't happen. Not you, at all. you take out loans and then it's to give you that sort of worldly experience. You're paying for that premium to get that kind of stuff, to make you well-rounded um, and easily... I don't know. Would you call it like affability training? Like you're you're likable because you go and you you've had these experiences, and so now you're able to uh, uh, conform. <laughs> I Maybe, guess you know. I think part of it is like, I think part of. I don't think it's conformity. I think it is. Uh, well, yeah, not not affability. Affability meaning like how likable you are because you can relate and you're you're able. It's not that you're conforming. It's yeah. just that you've experienced, you've been exposed, you know how to address certain situations. Well, I think the idea is like when you're in college, you're exposed to so many different things all at one time that you have to like shift gears constantly that you kind of just learn to kind of roll with the punches. So you're a little bit more nimble of the mind or whatever as you go. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the problem with that is, uh, when it gets to all this stuff that you're doing with the money and everything, you, you run the risk, depending on your, um, your area of expertise that they, they make you choose by your sophomore year, um, of over specialization. Yeah. Now, typically you don't run that risk in an undergrad situation, but you, you do run that risk once you go to even higher education than that. Would you say? I would say yes and no. So... Typically, yes. Like in my case, I was a double major, right? Uh So I majored in philosophy and English, you know, both very marketable degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If if I was to say anything about that, somebody with your skill set right out of college, if you didn't go to Korea, I would think paralegal immediately. Yeah, something like that, maybe. But the thing was that because I was a double major, like my classes were all philosophy and English classes. So thankfully, both those classes are kind of broad anyways like you're yeah. exposed to a lot anyways but i definitely was there were there were classes i wish i had taken that i just couldn't take without staying another year in college right but the, the thing is like did you graduate in four years yeah i did yeah oh, okay. i did it in four yeah no, not me I, I did four and a half i had a, a oh, little yeah? bit of a victory lap oh <laughs> <laughs> but so like you mentioned you said something about uh 
having to choose your major when you're a sophomore and stuff. And right. that kind of also, to my mind, leads straight into the loans themselves. That right. we expect children to map out their entire life. Yeah, with, before, with no worldly experience yes. yet. So, you know, again, like, I went to college for my first year and a half fully paid for. My family was able to cover the cost. It wasn't even a thought in my mind. And then we went bankrupt, and what I should have done is left my school and gone to a public university that was cheaper. Right. But instead, yeah, you can sign these papers and stay in school, and right. you can pay it off and, like, you know, when you get a job. And I was like, well, that sounds nifty. Like... um. To to uh, before I want to let you finish this. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah. When when you applied for how many colleges did you apply for? Oh, just one. Oh, really? Right, so I I applied to every public university in the state except for um, Pembroke because I didn't know it existed. I can't. I don't know why St. Andrews appealed to me so much at the time. Right. But it just I found it, it was a very. I, I knew I wanted a very small school. Right. And St. Andrews at the time had under one thousand students. Right. And I knew I wanted a school that had both creative writing and English, and that was St. Andrews. There was no other school, so I applied, got in. Right, that right. was it. Like, so I applied, like I said, to every, uh, every one of the schools in the state that were public universities. I, I applied to, you know, everybody wanted to live at the beach, go to UNC Wilmington. Well, you're still 40 minutes from the beach. You're not, yeah. you're not really yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But that was the that was one of the dreams. The other one was, uh, you know, UNC. Uh, actually, I take it back. I didn't apply to NC State um, either. I don't know why. Uh, but so uh, UNCW, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, UNC Asheville, Western Carolina, App, and UNC Charlotte. And I didn't know about Pembroke. I thought to um, ask about that. And um, did I say Asheville? Yeah, you did. Okay. Yeah. So I applied to all these, and the only ones that I got accepted to were Appalachian State and Western Carolina University. Well, being where we were from, Appalachian State is an hour drive away. It was yeah. too close. That was a day drive. Yeah. I think it would have ended up being a suitcase college suitcase college situation for me. I wouldn't have had as much fun. Um, I probably would have lived up there, but on the weekends, I could see coming home to my yeah. mom and dad. I wanted to be kind of farther away. Now, I did get waitlisted at both UNCW and uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Oh, nice. And I did not realize that that generally meant that you could transfer really, really easily after your first semester or your first year of college. And I would have liked to go to UNC um, Chapel Hill to get a degree just because of like the, the pedigree that it assumes that you would have, for, as we were mentioning in the previous thing about like you know university prep. You don't want to be prepped to go to somewhere that either doesn't meet your needs and doesn't feel like it's a fulfilling place or it's not going to pay dividends later. Well, there's that whole triangle when you go to college. Do you know, you know what it is too. It's like, so there's like the academics, social life, and enough sleep. You can only <laughs> choose two of those. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so I, I definitely chose uh, social and academics. I was right. a Dean's List student. I think, I think there were like two semesters where I wasn't Dean's List. Oh, I was a bad student. Oh, I was a great student. And then I partied pretty hard. Like, yeah. I had a good time. But I didn't sleep a lot. Right, like, right. Yeah. Um, well, and and sort of with the um, the over-specialization that, you know, landed... Oh, wait, no, no, no. Go back to what you were saying about the predatory practices. Basically, essentially, these children are taking these loans that they don't know yeah. about. You sign the papers... Uh, to oh, yeah, to yeah. continue there. Yeah. 
Well, no. So, you know, I had no understanding at all what I was signing. Yeah, like no like, financial literacy, no contract none, understanding. None. And then it wasn't until, you know, they, they don't even tell you, like, that your interest begins the moment you take those loans. Right. Like, you're you just deferring payment. Yeah. And, you know, student loans are the only loan you can't get free of in any other way other than paying it off. Can't go bankrupt. You keep your loans. Oh, like, man. It's bad. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. So, like, you're stuck with them forever. I, I've known people who kind of said fuck it and just never pay their loan they were like you know what i'm just gonna pay like 10 bucks a month and it's gonna keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and i'm just like, I'm right. not gonna pay it off yeah and i was like good luck taking it from my cold dead hands <laughs> yeah so i owed over sixty thousand dollars when i graduated yeah dang yeah that's a lot of money it, there it is a lot of money i was fortunate i know people from my same school who are very much in six-figure debt shut who, the fuck up who will never like right out of right out of school yeah. They were already at six figures. Yes. So now some of them kind of did it themselves. Okay. And I'm just saying, if you go to St. Andrews and you stay there for six years, we don't have a mat. Well, actually there's a master's, prog- master's program now. Right. So, but I knew people who stayed like six years. They didn't get a master's. They were just having a good time. Ooh. And they are in some extreme debt. Do not have a paying job. So for the past, you know, 10 years or wait, how old are we? Shit. It's been more than 10 years. Yeah. Goddamn. We, we, gradu- we graduated in 2010. Uh, right? I was 11. Yeah. 2011? Yeah. You remember when I went to the private school, I went back a grade. No, I didn't realize that. Yeah. 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 Oh, so, okay. Yeah, when I left East Lincoln, I went to the South Lake and then they were like, yeah, you know, he's a year younger than everyone else in the grade. So I put him back in eighth grade and then I was a year older than everybody. But then it was like. I would have fought tooth and nail against that, I think. I was kind of down for it. Oh, okay. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. And also, like, you know, not to diss East Lake, but the curriculum at South Lake was a bit more rigorous than East Lincoln. I, I could imagine. Um, but one of the reasons being is because you, you had the benefit of a smaller class size. Yeah. But also, I will say that some of those classes were total horseshit, though. Yeah. Like, you know, I had like religious classes and stuff. It's like, this is why evolution is not real. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, yeah, anyways, so, like, yeah, student debt is predatory. Yeah, like, there's no... You can't get out from under it. You have to pay it back. Well, let's let's sort of break it down, like, what you're paying for. So, um, you, you get the, the predatory loan, <laughs> in some cases a predatory loan, that we didn't even, uh, on our sort of docket, our, our thing that we did, I didn't even think to list, like, predatory universities, because that's a real thing, too. Ooh, Just the oh, university yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, there's been a lot of them that have been located. Like, even, was it ECPI or ITT Tech? One there of were them. a few. Yeah, that they just, like, pro- made promises that they couldn't keep. Well, even, like, my school, I, I wouldn't say it was intentionally predatory, but when I started that school, I did not realize they were having issues with, with accreditation. Right. Now, they never lost accreditation, but right. they were struggling. They were on the cusp. Yeah. So, my sophomore year, I think we had fewer than 400 students. People were just dropping out of that school like crazy because people were like, I'm not going to fucking stay here. Like, what are we paying for? Right. And when I look back, I'm like, yeah, why the hell did I stay? Right. But I did. And like, so this is where I'm kind of torn on student loans. So people are like, well, you chose those loans. You chose that school. And that is true. Right. I could have left that school, but that also requires asking a, you know, a child to have some foresight into the next 20 years of their life. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. You haven't even lived 20 years yet. Yeah. How do you have that long view? Yeah. 
So if I could go back in time, yeah, I would definitely have changed schools. Right. I would have gone to a public university. I probably would have gone, like you said, UNC Chapel Hill would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, NC State, fine, whatever. Just anywhere other than a private school. Right. There are ways to have a lower cost of education and still receive a very good education. Mm-hmm. But that's me as a almost 34-year-old adult. It's coming up, it's coming up yeah. soon. Oh, yeah. Wait, it's September. Yeah. In like <laughs> a few weeks, actually. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think it's bad. And then also, like, it's not just loans. Like, universities themselves are fucking scummy. We mentioned books. Right. Oh, and, yeah. And books. Yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah, let's go back. So you have you have housing. You have uh, the, the that you have to pay for. You have the coursework, which you have to pay for. Um, which, you know, per class, some places or some places are like, yeah. here's your tuition. You can take as many hours as you want. And then, uh, the books that, uh, there's also meal plans in that as well. Other sort of periphery things and other benefits that you would get from paying in the tuition, such mm-hmm. as like free sporting event tickets or something like that, that you could possibly get. But, um, or the access to first come, um, first serve sort of, uh, at Western. <laughs> Do you remember this song that, uh, came out? Um, when we were in college, it was by this band called Hinder, and the name of the song was Lips of an Angel. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so when they were at the height of their popularity, Hinder came to Western Carolina University, and they played a show, and they played on like a Sunday or something, right? Yeah. Um, which was great. It was a great show, everything like that. Puddle of Mud opened for them, and I was there to see Puddle of Mud. I did not that, care yeah, about it. that's pretty Hinder. cool, too. Um, and so I went there and watched Puddle of Mud, and everything was pretty pretty good. And uh, um, I'm not like a huge Puddle of Mud fan, but I knew more of Puddle of Mud's yeah, yeah, repertoire yeah, yeah, yeah. than yeah. I knew of Hinder at that time. And so I was like, yeah, let's go to this concert with uh, Patrick. Um, but we went <laughs> went to watch that um, them play that, and they were pissed off that they were playing on a Sunday. <laughs> Not because of they weren't happy to be there and have like the university energy or anything like that, but that we have the ABC and we were a dry county at that point. There's oh. no place where they could buy alcohol after the show, and they were they were pissed. Like, yeah. What the hell kind of place is this? Now I get it. Um, but yeah. So, uh, but anyways, we had access to that kind of stuff. So let's let's lead in with books. What you were about to say. So books are probably the most predatory practice of any university. Mm-hmm. So. First off, the books are expensive. They're not covered by your loans. Nope. So, yeah, you might get loans for your semester, but then you take, you know, a full course load. Well, you'd have to you'd have to take enough out in order to yeah. be able to purchase the books yeah, yeah, yeah. on top of like tuition or whatever. But if, they're not covered in yeah. your tuition expense. So, my book costs were actually not that bad. So, most of my classes were philosophy and English, obviously. So, a lot of my books were just like short story books, stuff like that. They weren't that bad. Let's say you were a biology major. You oh, might be spending 300 bucks on one book. And you're the thing. The thing is, you can't get a used one because you also need that, that stupid online code to access the online content. The online content was no different than what was in the book, but you had to have it or you failed the class. <laughs> and yeah. then this was never an issue in my school because my professors weren't famous enough to warrant it. But there yeah. are schools where... One of those assholes will write the book, right, and make you make buy it, it required for their class. I took classes like yeah. that, and if you don't buy it, you fail the class, right. So what happens if you don't have the money for it? Well, it just sucks to be you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sucks. Like, so then you have to get possibly another secondary loan or a credit card and put yeah. uh, books that you need. And then 
Um, you can resell them back to the university or you can sell them privately, but that's if they don't have additions that expire really yeah. quickly, such as something well, in the medical field. they always do, though. Like, and the thing is, like, you might get, you know, edition four to five might be the exact same book, but maybe there's, like, one minor font difference on one page. or something. It's, like, stupid shit like that. And I'm not exaggerating. Right. Like, it's really nothing changes. So uh, I have a story about this. I'm going to tell one of Jessica's stories for her. Um, she... Uh, I might have told you this story before. She had to buy a book that was something about like um she was she was an anthropology major and she yeah. was studying uh like witchcraft in Trinidad and oh, Tobago. That's cool. And uh she bought this book and it was about carnival and all this other stuff. She bought this book when she started her undergrad and then um she she went to uh get her associate's degree in dental assisting in between and then came back to university and finished okay. out. And um she took the class with a professor who taught that class to her before and was going to reference that book again, but she had already sold the book. So she yeah. gets on to um, the the internet and looks at the used book marketplace to find that place where she had sold it. And she bought a book and uh, the same book or whatever. And not only was it like the same edition, like with the cover and everything, it was literally the exact same book that she wow. had because she had taken notes in the, the like the ledger and uh highlighted certain things and i was thumbing through it and i had just started dating her yeah i was like wow this person has handwriting that's very similar to yours she's like let me see and and uh, she's she's like oh my god these are my notes this is my book and she couldn't believe it. it's like moved like four years later and yeah. she, she got that book back but it was written by the professor of the class yeah so that's kinda, not okay yeah it, it sucks um so the the books books are awful. I guess we could put that into the coursework. Some of yeah. the coursework that you take, um, liberal arts colleges are are bad about this, forcing you to take the. Now some of it is to sort of weed out people. Like we don't want to have you waste your money or our time on trying to educate somebody who's not willing to be educated. So there are the the mandatory. sort of catch all mandatory classes that yeah. they put you through. Some of those are okay. No, I will say one thing about St. Andrews I did enjoy was I actually enjoyed those classes. They were they were called Sage. Uh-huh. And uh they weren't too costly as far as like the books if you needed. They were just more about St. Andrews is very much like kind of a hippie school. Yeah. So it's kind of about opening your mind to other culture, learning about the world, accepting people who they are and stuff. So I never minded those classes. Right. But I know other schools had classes like, oh, you need to buy like these particular books or like uh, a friend of mine at another school had to buy lab equipment uh-huh. for his classwork as well. They had all this equipment at the school, but he right. had to have his own equipment as well. There were some courses like if you took like a biology class or something, you're working in a lab and you needed yeah. goggles, they didn't provide those. And it's like, what the fuck am I paying for? Right, like, right. Well, so um, well, that being said, I did have a class that I could have had mom and dad sign a waiver for. You could not do it yourself, which I thought was stupid. If I'm paying for this with my money, Wait, with my loans, and you were an adult as an adult. Well, now seventeen. Okay, when I was in going to college <laughs> for the first semester, it was a course called Success One Hundred and One, <laughs> and uh, I remember going to this class because I didn't get out of it. And what the way that they structured it, it and I enjoyed this class, but I hated that I was paying for it. I lived in Harrell Hall, the the dorm on the top of the hill, and um, everybody who was in my Success 101 course was from that dorm, and they were freshmen. And what the course was, was to make you socially successful. Cool. Um, So they would force you to do extracurriculars, but you had to go 
with somebody from that class. And so basically what it ended up happening is we would all get together and be like, Hey, are you going to the, um, I don't know, whatever it is. We just had to pick an event to go to. Yeah. 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 Are you going to this reading, uh, this poetry reading? And I was like, that doesn't sound like my jam considering the people that I know who are going to be there. I don't, I don't want to listen <laughs> yeah. to these people speak. I don't want to give them time. Or are you going to the open mic night? I'm like, yeah, that sounds more like my bag. I might even play, you know, whatever. And so we would go and do that kind of stuff together, write a short little half a page, like blurb about what happened yeah. there and what we liked and what we disliked and who we went with. And that was basically us checking off that we all went there. That's cool. That was a decent class, but at the same time, it didn't pay for social exposure. I, I could do that yeah. stuff well enough on my own. I would have gone to the things that I went, like the Hinder concert. I would have gone to that on my own. Yeah. I think the funny thing for me was like, at my high school, I was always warned about how colleges were like bastions of, you know, evil and liberalism and all that stuff and how they're going to corrupt you and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's probably exaggerated. It wasn't. So when I, when I was choosing my first class for my first semester, I chose this one class called uh, History of Bad Behavior. Mm -hmm. And I didn't read the description closely enough. I assumed it was going to be about like, you know, bad people throughout history, right. Hitler, Mussolini, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about drugs, sex, and alcohol. Nice. And even, yeah, so the very, <laughs> you know, this is me at the height of my like religious zealotry and everything. Right. In this classroom. And the, the professor who taught it, was, his nickname was Dr. Doom. And he was <laughs> like, to introduce. Enemy of the Fantastic the, uh, Four. Yeah. To introduce the class, here is a PowerPoint or yeah, PowerPoint presentation of topics we'll be covering, including like media subject matter. And showed us a slide of straight up porn. Oh yeah, in class. Nice. And I was just like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Like this debauchery. They, they were right. <laughs> like Satan is in this room. <laughs> yeah. That, that was a. That was I. That was the only class I ever got until my senior year that I got a C in. Like mm. that was a very difficult class. And do you it, think it was uh, the subject matter no, that no, no, did no. it, or do you think it was like oppositional defiance no, that did it? He or? was notorious for being like a strict grader oh, okay. and everything. Like he he earned his nickname, uh -huh. but he was a good teacher. Right. Like I learned a lot in that class, but you know it was like it was shocking to me, right, to experience that for the first time, right. So uh, I think. You're in a very small group of people who explore experiencing basically porn in a classroom. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was it was it was surreal. Um, so, but we, so what, well, so what's the whole point of loans then? So you know we we talk about our like our classes and everything, but you don't go to college just to party and socialize and become a better person. The goal is that. College is supposed to provide for you in the future, giving you a better job. Right. You get that degree because that degree is going to help you find a position at a company that pays you well. Right. And the idea is that your student loans are not supposed to be a burden. Right, right. That's that's true. And and in, in your instances of people who have six figures worth of debt, I have to I have to ask, was that... Um, when they graduate, you said that some of them didn't graduate as a graduate. They graduated with as a bachelor. Um, so they, yes. they, with that stuff, do you think, and you said that they weren't gainfully employed. Were some yeah. of them over-specialized or were some of them just sort of lazy and just into the, the party life kind of thing? Uh, 
it's really hard to say. Yeah. Like, I would say... Like, I mean, it's hard to paint people with a broad yeah, brush like that. It, it was kind of a running joke at St. Andrews that for people who graduated, you either kind of did some cool shit or you just didn't do anything at all. Right. And it, it holds true. Like, yeah. everyone I know from college, it, it's one of two categories. We either are, I would say, successful mm-hmm. or just not doing anything at all their life. And they have a different measure of success, hopefully. Yeah. But they're still in, you know, six-figure debt. Right. Like I, I, it's, but I don't think any education other than, I don't know, I guess if you're getting a PhD or whatever, maybe six-figure debt is okay. Yeah. But for a undergrad degree, there is no degree on this planet that is worth six figures of debt. Because there is no job you're going to get that can right out of college, actually cover that, yeah. that debt. Like, you know, you know, I graduated, couldn't find a job because it was like 2000, uh, 2011. 10, 11, yeah. So I was like, okay. In the lowest points yeah. of the recession, the and Great Recession. kind of dipped out to Korea for almost a decade. Right. And in Korea, my first job was I made about 2.1 million won, mm. which is roughly 2,000 a month. Yeah. And my student loan payments, when they kicked in, cost me 500,000 won every month. So quite literally, 25% of my income every single month was to my student loans. That's fucking insane. Right. So, you know, that's that was my entire life put on hold. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The idea of, like, you know, I met Kathy pretty quickly, so mm-hmm. I stayed there for her. So that was the big thing. Right. But also, there was, in my mind, I was like, well, what? I can't cover my loans if I don't have a job. Right. I couldn't risk moving back to the U.S. when I had this debt on my back. Right. Because I didn't know I could pay it off in the U.S. Right. So, you know, but I've, again, I've almost paid it off now. Right. Like this $10,000 forgiveness will finish it off, mm-hmm. but I've almost paid it all off and I'm still grateful for the payment, but it shouldn't have existed in the first place. Right. The, the debt, the, the loans themselves. Right. So... I don't think the issue is the level of debt. I think it's that universities got blank checks from the government to do whatever they wanted to do. The prices just kept going up because right. it was being paid for. Yeah, and people aren't resisting. Yeah. and Because they're not literate enough to know that they should. Yes. And this kind of goes right into, like, one of the biggest arguments I keep hearing about the student forgiveness is, oh, it's going to increase my taxes, blah, 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 you know, that... Same old bullshit whenever anything good anything happens in this country. Yeah, yeah. And it's, in this case, completely absurd because your taxes already paid for that loan. Yeah. Like, if your argument is that you don't want to pay for other people to go to college, you already did. Right. That happened. You already paid for me to go to school. Right. Now, the beginning this would give is going to give a, what, is a half trillion dollar deficit? Something like that. Which... I understand that that's, you know, that's more money than I can actually kind of... Yeah, I can't really fathom that. Yeah. At the same time, it's not money's not really lost, right? Because right. that's a half trillion dollars that now 50 million people in this country... Well, so you have to look at how it was structured. The reason that they're, the, the government is going to have this deficit, if you're going to say... They're looking at a forecast... And they're saying that we forecasted to earn this money outside of taxes due to the repayment of loans that have interest. That's sort of what it was. It's not like you said, the money was already spent and everything was already paid for. It, that's not the problem. They're, they're losing out on interest. And so they're saying 
now this money that they're not going to get, I'm going to have to pay for and fill up all these, um, you know, the, this, this forgiveness that had happened. But my thoughts are, can you imagine, um, this is a perfectly good example. Uh, you were talking about how a quarter of your income when you were in Korea yeah. was going to student loans. Imagine, for the other listeners that are listening to this, imagine, if you will, not having a mortgage, not having rent. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, what is happening? You have this disposable income that you didn't already have. Mm-hmm. So if you had your forgiveness, then it's the same thing. Most people spend about a quarter of their paycheck on on the place that they live. Yeah. Um. So if you have no debt, no student debt, you now have this new money that's in your pocket. Most of us, again, to go to the fact that none of us are financially literate, mm-hmm. are we going to save that money? No, not yet. So I've thought about that. So if I had not had my student loans, you know, in theory, I'd have $60,000 more right now. Mm-hmm. But I probably, probably more than wouldn't. That. You'd probably have a little bit more than that because of the interest. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, I, I wouldn't actually have that, though, because if I had that money to spend, I would have spent more money. But I think that's kind of to your point, right, that that's money being injected into the economy. Which will pay for sales tax, yep. which will pay for somebody to have a job, which then in turn is taxed with payroll, which yep. is where these tax dollars came from to pay for the loans that the are already place. existed in mm-hmm. the first place. This isn't making it to where... Well, now they're going to raise us all into a new tax bracket. No, they're no. not. There's a different amount of money that's going to be coming from a different source to replenish the so-called deficit that now, will be there. The one argument that I do think is kind of valid, and I just can't find a way to word it that I like. But okay. So this forgiveness will, will help 50 million people, Yeah, roughly. It's like 48 million, whatever it is. It's a lot of people. But I always have a hard time accepting any kind of policy that lumps the poorest Americans and the most wealthy into one group. Uh And that's kind of the case here. Like, this is fully benefiting the middle class, which, you know, middle class is the majority of the country. So things that benefit the middle class do benefit the majority. Right. But, like, college is kind of an elitist thing. Like, if you you are from an actual poor family... Mm -hmm. You couldn't go to college even if you got loans because you can't. We talked about books. We talked about other expenses. Well, you can't afford those expenses. So this isn't helping those people at all. And then, you know, if you're super wealthy, well, I mean, boo fucking who? Yeah, yeah. Like, like ten thousand dollars. Like you really need it. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I, I don't know. Like I don't. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it exactly. Like I don't think. I don't think college debt is a bad thing in general i think it's just excessively high that that could be true well and one of the things i didn't mention how i paid for college yet so when i went to school the loan thing wasn't the thing that happened for me yeah i nickeled and dimed my way not through like working i'm not going to pretend that i had a job or anything i didn't do anything like that i'm not a hustler (laughs) what i did was i applied for every $200 a year or semester uh, scholarship. Yeah. And I put a lot of effort into writing essays and stuff for that and then finding another place 
that had a similar theme and modifying that essay and then applying it to another one. So I had a bajillion of very small amount scholarships. But it added up. But yes, it took care of everything. If I would not have gone for the half year that I had after the fact, I wouldn't have had any debt at all because I applied for scholarships and I did it in such a way because I figured if I was going to apply for it and I'm not going to lie, I did get a couple big scholarships, but if I wouldn't have applied to the small ones, I would have had debt. And I figured (laughs) if I think that this is good enough to apply, this essay that I've written is good enough to apply to a, um, a $10,000 a year scholarship. Wow. Then it's good enough for a hundred dollars too. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would go and I would apply for that. And that was the avenue that I approached everything through. Which and is then fair. Yeah. when I went to school and couldn't finish in four years through switching majors a couple of times is basically what caused that for me. Um, then I think I uh, wouldn't have made it out with any debt. And then the debt that I had, I've already paid off. So you kind of think of an argument that I hear a lot from Republicans too, is like, well, you can find another way to do it, which you did. Right. And, you know, I'm glad it worked for you, but there are there is a limited number of scholarships available. Right. Like it worked for you, but not everyone can do that. Like no, I mean it took a lot of time too. Some yeah. people that, that I know, especially in East Lincoln, like you know, in the 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 poor income people, um, they probably had access to internet uh, at their home even, but they just didn't have the time to do it because not only were their parents working, they had to work to yeah. help keep up, you know, the home yeah. economy themselves. So I could see that, that being a thing, but, um, there are avenues. You just need an advocate. And that's something that that's not there. We don't have a financial advocate at the high school to say, Oh, let me look up these scholarships because I know you have to have your job at the fast food restaurant yeah. or you we work at Walmart or whatever, just so that you can help feed like your, your kid brother and sister. Um, and your parents are working full time. Like, yeah, you don't have that financial advocate to look up that stuff and to, to help you um, apply for... I mean, scholarships are one thing, but people don't often consider grants. Yeah. Grants are another thing that you can get. There's mm-hmm. the Pell Grant that everyone, I think, applies for. Well, that's being paid off, too. That's like, uh, it's $20,000, not ten. Right, right. So the Pell Grant is a thing, but it's money that's granted to you. You're not... I don't think there's really much of an expectation to repay that one if you meet the tenets of that, because that's the whole point. You have a deliverable to meet, and if you meet it, then you don't have to pay it back. I do want to emphasize, though, that while you did find a way to pay things off, again, I don't think the issue is that you had to find a way to pay for college, whether through loans or scholarships or Mm -hmm. grants. The issue is just that, like I said before, the expense is too high. Right. That going to college is no longer worth the cost of going to college. But if you don't do it, then, you know, we mentioned before, like your options are college, trade school, or just abject poverty. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so what do you do? So I think the, I think this loan forgiveness is a step in the right direction. I don't think I agree with people who are upset that should be more. I don't think it should be more. I don't think we can't just, I don't know. I don't know how how to, so I think it, it it's uh the the first way that you mentioned how they should um I guess diversify the forgiveness would yeah. be through stratification. 
of income brackets. Which you said they're kind of doing that a little bit. They have a threshold, and yeah. if you make more than this, then you don't get it. One hundred twenty-five. If, if you're per under person, this, or two fifty per household, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And if you're under that, you got it. If you're above it, you don't. And that's the only stratification. If yeah. they further stratified that, that would be great. But that would segment it another way, in terms of well, it'll probably be right down the middle. You would or no, there would probably be three things. It would be um, one segment, one third of it would be public college. Another third of it probably would be private college. And then uh, another portion of it would be the predatory universities that are no longer in business, lost their accreditation, did whatever it is that made whatever money you put into it completely worthless. And then that's where you could, like, if you went to a public university, you probably would get less forgiven than you would if you went to a private school. Or maybe even the other way around. There would be some way, again, with the stratification where they would define this. Well, I think that's why the 5% income limit on payments is going to be the most important part of this bill. Because, like, that's going to force colleges to... or Loans would have to be lower, right? Right. Like if you only pay like five percent of the time of your income, like what's well, the interest rate that would have to be lower? Yeah. What we're saying is like, you know, I paid like I said, I paid twenty five percent of my income right. on my student loan every single month, mm-hmm. and that allowed me to pay off my student loan. If I it would if I if not for the forbearance, I would have paid it off by now. Yeah. I just haven't. I've been paying like. Why, why would you? That's yeah. the, the smartest thing yeah. that anybody's done is not pay so, those loans during this time. But had that not happened, it would be paid off right now. But why would you give me a loan if you knew I could only pay five percent of my income at a time? Like it would, it would take me another thirty years to pay it off at that rate. So, I've got a hot take. Yeah, this is just the first wave of forgiveness. Yeah. I don't think that it's not enough is the right answer. I don't think that it's too much is the right answer. But I do think which political party at any point when they're near an election is going to advocate for people who haven't been paying loans to repay them? I mean... Who's going to do it? Trick question? No, it's not a trick question. The answer is nobody is going to advocate for your constituents to pay more money suddenly. So... That, I think that this is just the first step that's easing people into this whole thing because they are going to have to have so a brand new loan infrastructure that then they that, can do that. But there were Republicans who were in student debt as well. So, like... that, And there's there's ones that have taken SVOG money and PPP money and oh, employee-earned uh, retention credit money and stuff like that that was forgiven. And I feel like... Well, that's different. They they needed that money. Oh yeah, they they needed yeah. it. <laughs> so, like, well, then and so that's exactly the the same kind of thing that I think I think, especially if Democrats re, uh, retain the presidency, not necessarily retain the House or the Senate. It's looking um, better. If they retain the presidency, if it's Biden, or if they they say, "All right, you're you're too old for this," <laughs> you know, we're gonna need somebody different. If even if it's not as progressive as Biden, and I don't think anybody thinks he he's a bastion of uh, progression, but um, if it was less progressive or more progressive than Biden, I think that this is just the first um, first wave of forgiveness. Well, this might be kind of like you know it didn't end up going too far as of yet, but you know Obama's ACA, mm-hmm. you know at this point health insurance still fucking sucks. Yeah, it's awful, but. The conversation is now there. The conversation has shifted from 
should we make healthcare affordable to how can we make it affordable? Right. And I think this might do the same thing for student loans education. Mm-hmm. Not that it, it's not about should or shouldn't it be affordable. How can it be affordable for more people? So, and I, I agree in that regard. Like, I think this is going to open up an avenue of more conversation, but first we got to, you know, keep the house, maybe, right? maybe gain a seat or two in the Senate, preferably. Right, like, right. So not everything's riding on what Joe Manchin says or does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, the, the, the whole fact of this is like uh, with health insurance is the same thing to reestablish the framework, what defines how it's operated. Yeah. So if that doesn't happen, um, if there isn't a firmware update for <laughs> either healthcare <laughs> or for the, the student loan mechanism, it's going to continue to have ordinary everyday Americans hemorrhaging money into um, insurmountable interest rates that they can't get ahead of. Yeah. And it happened with the uh, the housing thing in 2008 that caused the recession that made mm-hmm. us question whether or not it was worth our time to go to college in the first place. So, it, it, and they that, fixed that. That once-in-a-lifetime recession. Yep, yep. Well, well mm-hmm. and, and then we're, we've got a lot of once-in-a-lifetimes yeah. that are coming. No, I have seen that meme online, like, millennials have done, you know, gone through several of these, but so have so the boomers who are still alive. Like, to be fair... Like they've also experienced the recessions as well, right? Like it's not like anyone. Well, they didn't do it say, in their incoming earning years, though. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, I mean, the one thing that I can think of is like you know, uh, uh, it's going to be happening here is that you know summer is you know one of the top four seasons <laughs> that, that we experience. Uh, but um, soon it'll be available year round, and a lot of places. And that's yeah. coming sooner than than later if they don't get anything sorted with that kind of stuff. Uh, in terms, again, reworking, having a firmware update on how vehicles operate, on how energy is produced. Yeah, we definitely need to do an episode on because I think our food episode kind of touched on it a little bit. But right. climate change is, I think, I want to be like our first two parter because I think that's just such a huge topic. And we also talk about having a having some guest speakers on yeah, that one. Yeah, guest speakers so, definitely. Well, yeah, they're available for it. But uh, you know, that also kind of brings up a question that we didn't discuss in the outline for this, but it kind of just went to my head: like, climate change is real. Earth is becoming more uninhabitable. Mm-hmm. What incentive do future students have to receive education if there's not going to be anything left? Right. Like, that, well, I mean, that is a, a, an interesting take, I think. And and with it all, the other thing um, I had uh, uh, this this past weekend, I spent a lot of time at um, the Happy Valley Fiddlers Convention. Shout out to uh, William and Sarah if they, they hear the podcast. Um, the It was a great time. And I spent a lot of time talking to Carol Rifkin, who is like one of the... She's like a... I don't even know how to, I, I don't think I can do her justice in terms of her importance to mountain culture and mountain music. Yeah. I just, I can't describe it. She's a monolithic person. And um, we were talking about art in general, not art as like just music, because that's what we were there for. But yeah. I'm just talking about any kind of art, if it's pottery, if it's illustration, if it's anything and explaining how um, that the, the prevalence of the education that's being shaped now for people who are in middle and uh, high school grades 
um, is forcing everybody into STEM. So that's actually something I want to mention as well. I'm glad you brought it up. It's like, you know, I went to a liberal arts college. Yeah. My same. degrees are in humanities. Right. Right. And everyone always talked about, again, this is the whole... Uh, you just, is it worth it sort yeah. of conversation? But it's like everyone never really emphasizes about like, oh yeah, with a philosophy degree or English degree, you can do anything. People mm-hmm. love it. Bullshit. No one gives a fuck about those degrees. <laughs> like, like, I, well, the, the STEM thing, regardless of, and this, this goes to what you were saying about, um, in the last episode about, uh, the, the American football sort of kickoff conversation that we we're having. The last episode, one before last. Might have been the one before. Yeah. Future yeah. food. Yeah. So, yeah. The, um, we, we discussed about how, like, you could be a writer in your free time and it wouldn't affect your performance yeah, oh, yeah. at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the same thing with playing music and, and doing all those other things. But that stuff is so important because of, uh, I brought up the Super Bowl and how it brings in a lot of money to illustrate how uh, teams get paid yeah. with a salary cap. But what drives that, um, the money that they're getting? If you were to think about it for the Super Bowl, what, what I mean, drives it's it? entertainment. So, well, yeah. So, what, well, yeah. What drives? What is? How are they getting the money for it? I mean, it's the advertisements. Exactly. Yeah. What are advertisements? I would definitely say that's creative arts. It's a hundred percent art. Marketing is an art. Well, that's what I actually want to do. I want to do creative marketing. Right. Like well, that's and and that's where it is. So you have uh, graphic design artists mm-hmm. that make logos. Even the apps on your cell phone. Yeah, I have yeah. a graphic designer who made the look of the app icon or the user interface for yeah. your favorite uh, software. All of this is like visual art. Well, then you have the music component that's there that, you know, you have to have the music behind I the story. I get where you're going with this. And yeah. then the other thing is the people who are actual paid voice actors or actual actors in the thing are theater majors. Like it is 100% art that's driving the revenue. And they're like, no, nah, we need a new cell phone. Now yeah. we need to make sure that you know math good. Like <laughs> this is yeah, yeah, yeah. It it seems so kind of it's the it's thing weird. that doesn't like, make the most money is the thing that they're pushing the hardest. All that stuff's now like relegated to like side hustle. It's like yeah, you can be an artist on the side, right? You can be a musician on the side, be a writer on the side, right? But it's like you're saying like all that stuff exists in mainstream industry. It's just not respected. Right. And it just seems like an artificial disrespect, too, because it's necessary. You can't disregard it. Yeah, like, your phone would not work yeah. if it was not for graphic artists. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, our entire perception of education has been kind of warped by... I don't well, know if it's capitalism or if it's, like, uh, yeah, um, a tangible product, if it's research. I don't know what it is, but the, the well, humanities are, and stuff are... I, I think, I think are being it's forgotten. simple that we equate success to financial gain and the things that, yeah those things are important the things that really make money the things that have you know on the books are profitable are you know the stem majors like, right it's not hard to figure out like yeah you know i i know artists mm-hmm. they're not killing it right like they're but my my uh sort of the thing is like with the the stem stuff um it produces most of the time the stuff that they're doing. Yeah. It's it, what is it? It's, it's science, technology, um, engineering. engineering, and mathematics. Yeah. And all of those, when combined, produce a tangible product. Yeah. You need those aspects to do it. But nobody cares if that's going to be the thing that you're pushing if nobody is being marketed to buy it. Because I think yeah. that drives it more than just having the cool device. Oh, yeah. No, I, I like, I'm, 
I like the job I have right now, mm-hmm. but the job I really shot for before this one was that online marketing job. Right. I'm not going to name drop the place, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, and like the, my entire thing there was going to be doing basically online blogging, mm-hmm. but also like, you know, it's basically hooking up with other people in a adjacent industry and then correlating two blog posts, one on that site, one on their site with links going one to the other. A lot of online writing is all about uh, just creating this massive web of links. And right. yeah, it's fun. It's interesting. But well, um, I guess uh, a, a quick question for you. Are you glad you went to college? Yeah. yeah Are I you am. glad you paid for it? I am, yeah. I don't regret going to college. Same, big same. Well, I just wanted to tell everybody, I guess, uh, thank you for stopping by to listen to the True Cost of Higher Ed, uh, Smooth Brain Inquisition, and I'm Andrew. I'm Brian. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.